Hey, I'm Asad Serkat. And I'm Zoe Rosenberg, and you're listening to The Appeal, the Curved Podcast. It's an election year, as you all very well know from painful personal experience. And, you know, transportation and infrastructure are just not sexy election year issues, especially in a cycle that has provided a lot of fodder for other conversation. Yet at that, they are incredibly important to the future of our country. And we know somebody who's thinking at length about these issues, as well as advocating transportation-related issues in her own life through the way that she gets around. And that is Curb's urbanism editor, Alyssa Walker. Alyssa lives in Los Angeles, which, as you all know, is a car-centric place, and has decided to forego cars in favor of buses, trains, biking, and everything in between. So stick around. Well, we're so jazzed to have you chatting with us. How long have you been at Curbed now? Let's see. Um, since July. I don't know. I don't know how long okay. that is. A couple months. It feels like we go way back. I know. I yeah, feel like it feels like you've forever. been here for much longer. <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> yeah, in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Alyssa, for listeners who don't know, um, what is your title? My title is Urbanism Editor. And what does that actually mean? I'm the counterpart to the architecture critic who is Alexander Lang, who has also been on the show. And I think the idea is that I look at kind of where the property lines stop, perhaps, in a, in a curbed uh, way to put it, and, and looking at the city as this holistic set of systems, everything from transportation to policy to technology, um, how, how basically... Uh, you build the city that you want to live in and how those uh, how, how your city helps you helps give you a good place to live. Mm. I mean, this anticipates the next question I had, which was, what does it mean to be an urbanist in a broad sense? It's something that's like changing and and enabled by the way that we are changing as people who live in cities, you know, you think about, I, I asked this on Twitter. I, I always just ask my questions on Twitter and everybody answers them who is smarter than me. <laughs> I asked that the other day, like, where did the term urbanist come from? Like, who was the first urbanist? And there was all these, you know, there there's all these historical examples. But I think you really start to think about the urbanist when you think of someone like Jane Jacobs or someone who realized that the top-down city decisions didn't have to be that way. You didn't have to take it anymore. And you could uh, start to build the city that you wanted to live in. And it, it's people who write and think about what it's like to live in a city and how it should change and people who are out there experiencing the city and walking through it and moving through it and and seeing all these different ways that um, people can affect the built environment and the and the places where they live. So that's how I think about it. You're kind of an advocate for your city, but you're also kind of like pointing out the problems and trying to solve them at the same time. One of the things that you are really passionate about is not um, – using private transportation. And to that effect, you wrote a piece for Curb LA last week about minimizing your use of private transportation, uh, especially in relationship to raising your daughter. There was a lot of feedback <laughs> on yeah, that. There were, there were impassioned yeah. comments <laughs> some on that both were like, sides of the oh, aisle. Like, I, I'm glad you're not my mother, which I thought was so great. Oh, yeah, God, really? <laughs> oh, burn. Jesus. Yeah, really. People, well, get I it mean, together. But really, why do you think that this is inciting so 
much debate. I love that you called it private transportation because I think that that's a really important way of thinking about it, public versus private transportation. And um, L.A. is famous for, I don't want to say inventing private transportation, but maybe uh popularizing it, celebrating it almost in a in a kind mm-hmm. of frightening and world destructive way. Um, more on that in a second. But I think that that's the, that's the very question. Like people want to be able to travel through the city on their terms. And uh, a lot of people get angry when you tell them that they should maybe try it a different way. And that's just what I've come up against for years, ever since I started trying to do this. And for me, it was... I never questioned the idea that I should have a car. When I moved here 15 years ago, everyone was like, you should buy a car. And I was like, I'm going to buy a car. And it was just, there was no other (laughs) option presented to me. And I know there were buses that were going past me as I was driving and they were building a train under my feet. And um, I'm sure there were some people riding bikes, although not as many now. And I literally just never, ever thought about it or ever considered that that there was a different way. Mm. And I think you have to go through that in L.A. Obviously, L.A. is just a different city, but it's not it's L.A. is like more cities in the U.S. than, for example, New York or Boston or Chicago in that we are like all those smaller cities, which I grew up in St. Louis, similar issues that were really that are now very planned around the use of a car from everything from where we park our cars to where we drive our cars to you know, how every every space in between is is designed to make sure that cars can move fast and park themselves easily outside <laughs> as close as possible to the store that you're going to. And I think just being able to open yourself up to having those different options and trying them out, maybe they won't work for you. Maybe you don't use them every day. But those public transportation experiences rather than a private one I don't even need to go into the environmental or, you know, mental or physical benefits that you can produce by doing this. It's just a lot more fun. (laughs) And it's a lot more interesting to talk to people and to experience your city in this kind of context. And that's just where I wanted my daughter to be raised. Using public transportation, why did that become so important to you? I think just for that very reason, you know, the the fun and the mixing with people and seeing different parts of the city, although, you know, again, like I point those things out and people are kind of like, huh, okay, cool, I'll get in my car. Um, I think after a few (laughs) years, well, the, the reason that I actually started doing it was because I lived in Hollywood where... I don't know if you know where the Hollywood Bowl is um, in relationship to, you know, downtown Hollywood, which is just a, you know, one of the few areas that has a bunch of very tall buildings in it in the city. <laughs> and I literally could not get out of my apartment certain nights of the year because people were going to see, you know, Willie Nelson or, you know, mm-hmm. the Dixie Chicks mm-hmm. or whoever, maybe both of them together, whoever, Kenny Loggins. So I was like basically trapped in my house and couldn't get out in a car. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just walk down and, you know, see if I could ride my bike to get past the traffic or walk a few blocks to the grocery store or, whoa, there was the red line train right there that went underground. Maybe that would be a good idea. And I started to realize how much easier it actually was, you know, looking for a parking space in L.A. I don't know if you've tried it. Mm-hmm. Well, Asad, you don't even drive. So I, you're like my... Yeah, so- Yes, Hero. thank you, Alyssa. I do not. I, I do not know how to drive. I am yeah. someone who grew up mostly in New York unlearn. City. Can I stop? Can I like? <laughs> I love public transit. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 great to hear you 
make that argument, though, for the ease of use and the convenience of public transportation. I think there's an idea that really prevails pretty strongly that having your own, having private transportation available to you at all times means that your life is thus much more convenient. But Mm -hmm. I don't think that that relationship is always the case between convenience and having a, a you know a personal car that you yeah, can Yeah, I feel the other I feel like the opposite of what m- most people think like having a car is like this shackle that like weighs me down <laughs> and like oh god I have to figure out where to park it and like mm-hmm. I have to pay attention while I'm driving it and there's all these things that really annoy me about it so if if I can avoid all those things and and just jump on a bus and and have this you know fancy free day through LA it's it's much better so we've been trying some some new segments uh, on the curbed appeal and um, we have a new voice in the studio with us for today's Patrick Sisson our senior reporter say hello to the folks Hello, folks. Hey, Assad. <laughs> um, and Patrick and Alyssa worked on a piece for us a couple weeks ago uh, called 101 Small Ways You Can Improve Your City. Um, it's a great piece that went up during Micro Week on the site. And this was kind of very small interventions folks could do at a grassroots level to improve the quality of the streetscapes, um, to get more involved and more engaged in, in you know where they live. Um, so we thought we would talk about a few of those tips with Patrick and Alyssa. And um, I'm going to have have Patrick take it away with tip number one. Yeah, we, we put this list together because we wanted to show people that it's really easy to change your city and do something positive. And we were really happy and thrilled by the, the response. And I think that speaks more to all the people doing incredible projects like this as opposed to <laughs> us necessarily <laughs> putting it together. But um, yeah, it was really inspiring to go through and find a lot of the great things people were doing. And, and some of the things that we, one of the things I should say that we featured was a project by uh, the Big Car Collaborative. Um, it's a group out of Indianapolis. They're doing a lot of great work with community development and artists-friendly housing. And they did a bunch of small interactive community art projects that we thought were really great. Um, little listening booths, a project called Forensic Friends, where people would sit down and have an artist sketch them. Um, it's a lot better than Forensic Friends sounds, trust me. <laughs> it's very uplifting. But it, it's just a cool example of a small little thing you can do on your sidewalk, on your street, on your corner. It gets neighbors involved, gets neighbors talking, and hopefully gets people talking about what they can do for their neighborhood. Yeah, so tip number one is uh, you know, work on a small community art project. And Alyssa, do you want to talk about tip number 17 on the list? So our second tip for the, for the conversation Sure. So 17. Let's see if I can remember which one it was. It was, uh, oh, the infrastructure t-shirts. Are you spitting off the dome, Alyssa? (laughs) 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 So yes. Yeah. Turn infrastructure into (laughs) (laughs) t-shirts. I'm very impressed. So (laughs) um, I I love this idea. Um, Yeah. Again, it it was this, the story really resonated with people and I'm, I'm not sure if it was you know, being inspired by the fact that a little action could make a big impact, or maybe everyone's just really lazy. So maybe this is like the lazy urbanist guide to um, doing things in your city without working too hard. Um, but I thought this was like a really cool idea. It was uh, an art group in in Germany who 
went out and did instead of you see a lot of these like um, guerrilla graffiti and street art type projects that, you know, kind of go out and put things on sidewalks. And this was actually taking the images of sidewalks and um, manhole covers or we're supposed to call them something different now. Um, I don't know what it's called. We're not supposed to say manhole anymore. But anyway, using the the, the um, textures of the street to create these screen printed T-shirts. And they're actually like the image. They're actually like printing it off the street, which is um, really kind of an amazing use of infrastructure and then draws attention to the things that you might not notice every day and appreciate them, per- perhaps the little um, bits of detail under your feet. Yeah, absolutely. And so the third tip was uh, to create a community sign initiative. Patrick, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, this was a really interesting project in Cincinnati. A group of artists got together and worked with a bunch of community businesses and independent businesses and basically created a bunch of really cool signs. So now this block that once was just sort of your normal everyday block now looks like um, a sort of signed painter's gallery. And it's actually, over the course of the last couple of years since it's happened, been a huge boost and really helped draw business to the neighborhood. So not only is it a cool art project, but it supports small businesses, another thing people like. So it's like a two-for-one, really. Awesome. We love two-for-one tips. It's, it's all about, it's <laughs> all about all value here on the Curb Appeal. <laughs> um, and I believe there's one bonus tip that we want to leave all the listeners with before we depart. I mean, yeah, you really, we, we kind of, it was, it was a very easy choice for what the 101st tip should be, and that is to vote. And I, a lot of the deadlines for registering to vote are kind of rolling past us. A big one was today, and I think uh, from a lot of states and uh, more are coming up. So hopefully you've already registered. Yes, and, and if you haven't, I just want to make a sh- do it. Yeah, if you haven't, you might. You know, you should do, and you can still do it. But I also have to say, like, make a point of if you, especially if you have a child or maybe an elderly parent making a day out of it or at least a few hours out of it making sure that they get to the polls and your kid to inspire them for the future of course but also your parents and maybe your neighbor or someone else that might not have access easy access to your polling station um, just make sure everyone can participate in this great civic activity with you and celebrate yes do your day. civic duty that's right all right well thank you so much patrick and Alyssa, for talking about this with me i really appreciate it thank you Thank you. So something that consumes all of our lives, at least people who live in in cities, thinking about how we're going to get from from home to work and from work to whatever appointment is after work and et cetera. Um, But there's been a surprising dearth of attention paid to, or maybe not surprising entirely, but (laughs) just a general dearth of attention paid to issues of transportation and infrastructure in this election cycle. I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of other shit happening in this election (laughs) cycle to pay attention to. Shit, really? Yes, exactly. Um, But in August of last year, uh, a senior editor at The Atlantic, Derek Thompson, wrote a piece, and the headline was, One Issue Trump and Clinton Agree On, and it was referring to infrastructure and kind of the sad state of U.S. infrastructure beyond transportation infrastructure specifically and thinking more about, um, you know, uh, hydroelectric power and, you know, old dams across the country that are kind of deteriorating slowly. Um, What is the state of infrastructure in the U.S.? Like, why is this something that is a politically um, kind of attractive thing to throw out a soundbite about once in a while? You know, it's so funny. It's 
I, I was waiting even for the last debate. I was like, surely this will come up. And it's also the people waiting for climate change to be mentioned, which only kind of got like a backhanded <laughs> mention at the last debate as well. We, mm-hmm. we keep waiting mm-hmm. for these. These these are like the issues that that touch people every single day, how you get to your job and um, how you can save money by, you know, living closer to where you work and all these different really important things that are that are determined by the health of our cities, the health of our infrastructure, the health of our transportation system. And it's just surprising that it hasn't come up more, to be honest. I mean, I think that what you were talking about the article the the idea that this is one thing they agree on they both agree like it's a mess we need to fix it they have very different ideas for <laughs> right. how we should fix it um but i i think at the at the federal level we've only recently started to see some really great leadership uh talking addressing these issues and i will say that the current secretary of transportation anthony fox has been is like flying under the radar kind of because I don't think how many many people are paying attention to how awesome of a job he's doing and just throwing out all these great uh, programs and initiatives and um, policy documents just about everything like autonomous vehicles, how we can repair urban freeways to reconnect neighborhoods, uh, a vision zero policy which would try to reduce traffic deaths to zero in you know across the country, uh, building up our, our public transit infrastructure and making it more resilient and responsive. So we need to hope that one of these people who will be elected our leaders will have somebody as visionary (laughs) as him because he really gets the technology part of it. He gets the forward thinking part of it. Um, He he has just, he's really trying to take us into the next century, next millennium, whatever, um, in a a very (laughs) smart way. The other thing that you'll start to see in, in this election, which might be even more important than you know what either Democratic or Republic, uh, Republican platform says, is all these huge infrastructure measures that are on local ballots. So there is pretty much, I would say, like every almost every curbed city in our network has a really important um, bond measure or a sales tax um, increase that would be funding some pretty major infrastructure improvements. And that's not just public transit. It's also like sidewalks and bridges, mm-hmm. you know, very, very basic things that cities have not been able to pay for. So if we can get some of these things funded uh, and at that level, I hope every single one of those passes. I think some of them is, are a little problematic, but that could maybe give us the bump. And then the next president could really start to make some of those either top level appointments or just get people in the right places to start making some of this happen. So to that end, whomever is brought on next, what do you think some of the most important priorities for them as a leader and for us as a country in terms of transportation infrastructure? Well, the one most another another really exciting document that just was released by the Obama administration was this housing toolkit that we wrote about a few weeks ago, which, again, like. Really great stuff is coming in here right at, you know, right under the wire before these people have to leave office. <laughs> yeah, and we shouldn't yeah, really. neglect them. They are being, they are really important policy um, things that they're um, proposing. But the housing toolkit uh, document that they put out was really just the answer to all these issues. It addressed transportation in, in a way that uh, is very smart and is really how cities, some cities are thinking about it already. But basically, what I said before about how the most important thing you can do is put housing close to where people have jobs or with a good transit connection between it. So it's um, an equal 
access opportunity for everyone in the city to get where they need to go schools jobs you know shopping whatever you need to do so what that was really pointing out was how we can take housing and put it closer to where those opportunities already exist by getting rid of some of the parking lots, getting rid of some of the wider streets, uh, encouraging cities to uh, really build up their transit to serve those areas. So I would say that kind of policy, which again, do you hear the candidates really talking about affordable housing that much? Not that much. You hear maybe um, some discussions about just people making more money in their jobs, but there needs to be a bigger initiative underway to really get the affordable housing part, you know, into these all the different cities so we can start to solve this problem. Yeah, I think there's a there, like you've noted, there's been a lot of discussion about the economy, but without really addressing some of the ancillary issues that people have to deal with. I mean, it's not just about having a great job, but being able to to get there, being able to, you know, have access to uh, transit that will get you from point A to point B and get you to that amazing job. Yeah. Or um, being able to you, stay there you, if you, uh, you know, the biggest thing confronting a lot of our cities, the biggest issue right now is our aging population. The baby boomers are retiring. First of all, they shouldn't be on the roads much longer. So let's hope we have autonomous <laughs> cars to get them around because they shouldn't be driving. But um, we need these people to be able to stay where they want to live and afford these cities and how do you create all that housing for seniors who just want to who just want to stay in like the awesome New York City they grew up in and live their whole life they don't they shouldn't have to be sent out to some affordable housing center in the suburbs they should be able to stay there mm. Mm. Something that you just mentioned that I wanted to follow up with you about is just autonomous cars. I feel like we're reading and thinking so much more about driverless cars and autonomous vehicles of all sizes um, recently. Obviously, the the U.S. government has done some things to you know begin to codify legislation and uh, regulation of driverless vehicles. Um, how much progress do you feel like there is to make before we get to a place where this is something that people are going to be using? in their daily lives and is not just going to be kind of a pie-in-the-sky idea. Our governor, Jerry Brown, just passed a kind of exemption to most of the autonomous car um, companies have been uh, using as, as far as testing it um, on the streets of California. Um, and you are familiar with Google cars and all other different kinds of vehicles that are driving around right now, Uber in, in Pittsburgh, that are driving around um, autonomously. So this is a pilot project in Northern California that will allow autonomous buses kind of just shuttle really, um, zip around a little office park and then at a few moments go on to public streets. This is a company, uh, Easy Mile, which you've probably seen stories on Curbed or elsewhere. It's in a lot of European cities that they're also conducting pilot programs right now. And it's just the most adorable little thing you've ever seen. And it doesn't have a driver. It's just a little, little robot, little robot shuttle rolling around. And that's actually probably going to be the very unsexy uh, first experience for a lot of people a complete in a completely autonomous situation. It's going to be these shuttle buses that are on maybe college campuses or like these corporate campuses or that scoot around a, a very dense downtown on its own little network of very slow streets, you know, streets that are where people are going like 20 miles an hour or less. And here in L.A., we have a really cool 
proposal um, that is part of our DOT, Department of Transportation, a really great study that they did over the past year, which would turn some of these neighborhood circulators, you know, these little, the the smaller buses that you see going around the city um, that are really just doing big loops around neighborhoods to connect them and making some of those autonomous, which would then allow them to become a little bit more responsive. And that means if you know, I'm a few blocks away from the route, I ping it on my phone, and I call the bus on my phone, or, you know, whatever you do with your app to summon it, and it would come out a little bit out of the route and pick me up, or maybe pick up someone who's a little bit older and can't walk all the way to the bus stop. So you'll start to see these Mm -hmm. awesome, responsive routes, um, in addition to all the great fixed rail and fixed buses that we have already in the city to complement that. So I think that'll be your first experience. It's not as cool as, like, the Tesla that, you know, you'll be driving, <laughs> the sexy Tesla you'll be driving um, or not driving. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's probably the reality. This kind of technology you're explaining is very much like a stepping stone to getting people to welcome public transportation into their lives in a way that is um, more integrated and meaningful. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, you nailed it. Enough. It's like that bridge between the private transportation and the public transportation. It's getting used to not it's like and everybody brings up these examples it's like lift line or uber pool right which is kind of getting forcing you, you to be in a car with a stranger cuz you pay a little bit less and it's like a little carpooling system so but this is kind of like the the bridge between public and private transit and how how do we get people to realize that this is a really good solution and then they don't need to buy a car and they don't want to have an autonomous Tesla. <laughs> they want to have the autonomous Tesla bus, <laughs> which Elon Musk has also talked about developing. So we want to move on now to our thunder round. <laughs> and I don't know if you, I don't know if you have uh, heard the thunder round segments before, but Basically, they're a little slower than a lightning round, which is why they're called a thunder oh, I round. See, I see. Got it. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremiah, for that lovely name. Um, so the questions will be uh, design adjacent and adjacent to what we're talking about, but a little a little faster. Um, so, what is your favorite thing to do in LA? Walk. Tell us more. Why is that? <laughs> um, walking. Well, first of all, it's a great city to walk. We have perfect weather pretty much every day, unless it's a little too hot which it is a few days out of the <laughs> we year. We feel so bad for oh, you here in New York. Yeah. <laughs> what was I complaining awful. about the other day when we were talking about something? Oh, I was complaining about how my outdoor furniture was getting a little dusty because it hadn't rained and everybody was like, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Um, but I, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, we do need more rain. More, we can talk about that later. But true, I love to walk because true. it connects me to my city. It's a surprising thing in that every day I see something new and I love taking pictures of that and sharing it with people and showing people that it is possible to walk and it is pleasant to walk most of the time but also walking helps to attune me to um, the challenges and the problems facing my city just like that urbanism uh, label that we were talking about earlier and especially with a kid with a almost two-year-old you now she kind of walks me she tells me what she wants to look at and what she <laughs> what, which street we should go down and what bus we should hop on so Cute. it's a whole different world <laughs> so I know that you commute via bike with with your daughter yes. you know to school if you will mm-hmm. um, how did you get so into biking like what's your earliest memory do you have like early childhood memories of biking that you I mean I definitely remember you know, like hold earliest memories are we had a very big hill in our neighborhood um, so it was always 
you couldn't really ride up, but you could ride down very fast. Um, and that was always pretty fun. I remember bike decorating contests at the neighborhood picnic, probably the most vividly, <laughs> where you put like the streamers in and out of the spokes of your wheel and like cards in there to make noises. So that's probably my first. But urban biking, you know, Those biking in ones. a city is a little different than the bike decorating contest oh, yeah. and the cul-de-sac. <laughs> and I will say that this is like, this is so absolutely true, but I was like, I had like a little beach cruiser, which isn't very, um, you know, it, it doesn't actually work on a lot of the streets in LA just due to potholes and some hills. And I bought a bike just because I thought it was really cute. I bought a little public bike, of, you know, that company that because it was like creamsicle orange and it was the cutest thing I've ever seen. Oh my and goodness. I was like, I need that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. If you could live in any other city... In the United States or anywhere else in the world, where would you move? Oh, man. That is a tough one. I have always fantasized about living abroad just for a limited amount of time to come. So I would come back to L.A. and be like, oh, I appreciate it even more. Um, (laughs) And uh, honestly, the place that I would love to just go experience, and I've actually never been there, is Japan. But only because of all the amazing advances they've made in transit and walking and biking and making their cities safe for families. And their kids walk to school, supposedly, when they're like eight or nine years old because it's completely safe and they have no reason to worry that they will be on too busy of streets or, you know, by near fast cars or whatever. So I I would love to just go see how another country has done it right and experience you know how 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 they've gotten it and and take some ideas back. So here's our very last question and it's a bit of a curveball. What is your favorite midnight snack? <laughs> Gosh, I I mean, the only thing I can think of about eating in the middle of the night was Recently, when you have a small baby and you need to get up to feed them in the middle of the night, um, which was not a very interesting midnight snack at all, um, probably just like kind bars or something. I, it's not very fun. But if I was going <laughs> to maybe get up and make my so own LA. snack, <laughs> um, I would probably just do a stove pop popcorn you know, on the stove, not microwave yes. popcorn because it's disgusting. And then do real <laughs> melted butter Preach. and just um, maybe sit and hang out with my baby in the middle of the night while I eat my popcorn. <laughs> you got to reward yourself for all the walking and biking that you're doing. You can eat as much buttered popcorn <laughs> as you'd like. I can eat 10 kind bars in the middle of the night if I want yeah, to. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah. thank you so much for, for coming by and chatting with us. We really appreciate of it. Of course. Thank you for listening. That was Alyssa Walker speaking her truth about getting around in L.A. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe in iTunes and uh, find us in the podcast section of the Spotify app. If you're interested in reading more by Alyssa, head on over to Curb.com.